Um, also want to share with you, you know, as uh, those of you that come to this 830 service, of course, one of the features of this service is our, uh, our legacy, our traditional music, and we always seek to be growing greater and better at that, and so I want to tell you that your choir director in the next few days will be attending the National Association of Choir Directors at Baylor University, where my friend that went to Baylor pronounces that Baylor, um, so... She'll be down there, and so certainly pray for her. And as Vicki said in her prayer, I really do ask that you pray for what will happen at Summer Games. Um, for some people, Summer Games started Friday night when the staff members started showing up at Grinnell, and then all day yesterday they've been working and praying, and today they're working and praying and preparing for the 500 or so students that will be arriving tomorrow morning. So um, that, that's not just a, hey, here's where we're going. I'm saying pray for us, because Keith and Simon and Natalie and I uh, and Dylan Fawcett will be there all week, and we look forward to that ministry. For today, we come to the scriptures, as we mentioned last week, that we'll be working through um, the, the book of Job in the next few weeks. And if you don't have it in your hand, I do want you to cast your eyes on the screen, because unlike uh, our normal practice, I'm going to ask you to join with me in your, your verse, your voice, reading these words. Because what Job is talking about, and he talks several times during the, during the book, is he's speaking to God and telling about his suffering. So if you would, would you put your uh, voices uh, aloud on the even number of verses? I'll read the odds to you. Let me begin. Do not mortals have hard service on earth? Are not their days like those of hired laborers? Like a slave longing for the evening shadows, or a hired laborer waiting to be paid. So I have been allotted months of futility, and nights of misery have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on, and I toss and turn until dawn. My body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. The eye that now sees me will see me no longer. You will look for me, but I will be no more. As a cloud vanishes and is gone, so one who goes down to the grave does not return. He will never come to his house again. His place will know him no more. May God add his blessing on our reading of the scripture. Uh, may you seek in these next few moments and in the days to come to allow it to penetrate your heart, not just your ears, but let it come into play in the living of your life. May we pray. Oh, Lord, our God. As Keith comes now to share your words, I ask, O oh God, that you might bless him with the wisdom that you ask him to bestow upon us. Uh, Lord, let the words that he's prepared long before this moment be useful for the spiritual life of those of us that are gathered here. Uh, let us, Lord, as we each wrestle with sufferings present or those coming or those that are past, be encouraged. Uh, to know, Lord, not only are you with us, but in the midst of all these things, you're shaping us. Uh, guide him as he speaks today in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. So, welcome. 
of Job. I remember reading this when I was a kid, wondering why there was a book of the Bible called Job. Wondering what the job was going to be. Look, and then going, I don't want that job. If you've read the book of Job, you know this guy had a rough life. And I think the message of Job, as, as you look through it and study it, you know, there's some heaviness here. And if you can learn anything from Job, it's basically this. Suffering is not a party. Right? It's bad. And it's really, really bad. And of course, I don't, I don't need to tell you that because you know you're suffering just as I know mine. And many of us, when we look at our lives, some have endured things that are beyond our ability to comprehend. And others have had, you know, relatively uh, easier lives. But suffering is something that comes to each of us. And how we deal with that suffering, how we come to understand it, is part of why Job is in the Bible. Because it's, it's something that, as the Christian faith, we often neglect to understand. We don't really like to talk about our theology of suffering. What do we think about suffering? How does suffering coexist with our belief and our worship of Jesus Christ and of a holy God. Because there's something inherent to our belief in God that's sort of automatic, subconscious, that we think if we're good people, if we do what we're supposed to do, and especially if we have a faith in God, and we do what God wants us to do as best as we can, that somehow the universe will be nice to us and that we won't have to go through things. And when we encounter things or we see people encountering things and and we know that they've been good people, there's part of us that steps back from that and says, what did we do to deserve that? Why did that happen? I didn't see that one coming. And, And that can happen to us because we recognize the the supposed contradiction there. Now, most of us know that's not reality, though, right? Most of us know that if we really step back and look at the lives of others and look at our own life and we read the Scriptures, we can see that there's nowhere in the Bible that we're promised an easy, pain-free life at all, especially as Christians. Most of us know that reality, but I'm talking more about how we feel today than what we know. Because how you feel matters to God. And, and the, the verses that Pastor Mike just read and that we all read together in, in, in Job chapter 7, these are verses that are about feelings, aren't they? These are verses about how Job is processing what's going on in his life. Now last week we saw the, the introduction to, to Job and we saw that Job was an upright man. We saw that, that God was proud of Job and blessed him. And we also learned that Satan proposed the idea to God that the reason for Job's devotion was that Job had somehow led a charmed life and he was blessed. Pretty powerful thing to have God bragging to the devil about you, wouldn't it be? I mean, you must be something pretty special if God brags about you, not just to the angels, but to the devil. You know, when the devil knows who you are, look out. I'm reminded of the story in the book of Acts of, of this 
person who was demon-possessed, and it says that the, the seven sons of Sceva, or something like that, I can't remember exactly the details, right, tried to cast out the demon from this, from this man, and, and they said to the demon-possessed man, the demons, in the name of the God whom Paul preaches, we cast you out. And the demons responded through the man, well, Jesus we know, and Paul we know about, but who are you? And then they overcame him and beat the guy up. <laughs> Make a name for yourself in hell, and you've done something right. Job has made a name for himself. Even the devil knows who he is. God's bragged about him so much. This is an upright guy. Nobody could look at Job's life and say, well, you know what? He had it coming. And that's the point of the story, is that suffering isn't always about what you've got coming, is it? It's hard for us to, to, to understand that, but that's really what's going on. But what we have to recognize here is that God doesn't need Satan to show him anything. God knows everything, right? But the book of Job wasn't written so that God could learn something. The book of Job was written so that we could learn something. And what is it that we can learn when it comes to suffering? What is it that we need to know? If the book of Job teaches us anything, it's this. Suffering is really, really, really bad. And it happens to all of us. Regardless of our relationship to God. Now, suffering can be the result of sin. No doubt. We've seen that. Probably in our own lives, we can look back at ourselves and things that we've done, bad decisions that we've made, things that we've done that, that we knew were wrong and we did them anyway, and then we've reaped the result of those bad decisions and of those sinful things. I mean, we've all been there, haven't we? But not every suffering seems to have some sort of purpose that we can easily equate it to. Sometimes stuff just happens and you wind up going, was that really necessary? It's the other day. I was out Friday. It was a beautiful day, wasn't it? And I was out riding my motorcycle, enjoying the perfect afternoon. I was out on Highway 13, cruising along at, you know, 55 or so miles an hour. I was actually in prayer. I had a prayer going in my headphones, and I was praying as I was riding. And out of nowhere, this gigantic bee flies out of the ditch and stings me right there. Oh! That was a humdinger. <laughs> Humstinger. There you go. Thanks, Stephen. And I remember that thing hit me, and it just, ah! And I just was like, really? Was that necessary? This was such a perfect ride. Sometimes stuff just happens, right? And you go, what was that all about? Maybe God was saying, hey, you can pray later. Watch the road, buddy. <laughs> Keep your eyes open. You know, sometimes stuff like that happens. Sometimes it has no reason at all. But sometimes suffering comes as the result, not of sin or for no reason, but because of righteousness. Sometimes doing the right thing leads to suffering in your life. Sometimes doing the right thing that God's called you to do or has shown you in your life can lead you into a time of suffering. The early church knew that, just as the church today knows that. Every time you put something in the offering plate, 
You know, it's a form of suffering. Did you know that? It is. It should be. If it's not, you need to put more in. Right, Pastor Mike? There we go. So what do we learn here? Suffering can sometimes come for the benefit of others. So let's jump in. When we see in Job chapter 7, is that Job is honest about how bad his suffering is. He's honest about it. He doesn't pretend it's not so bad. So if you look back at what's going on in chapter 7, you see that in chapter 3 or chapter 2, Job's got some buddies that have come by to, to uh, help him deal with what's going on. And he's, what we're seeing here in chapter 7 is Job talking with them. And he is saying to them, this is really bad. Now, if he were to come to your house, what would you say when you're in the middle of suffering? How's it going? Oh, I'm fine. Right? It'll be all right. I know somebody's got it worse than I do. Are we ever honest about what it's like to suffer? Do we let people know when we're in rough shape how bad it really is? You know, I think that's something that we have to think about. Because there's sometimes this tendency that we have to try to minimize what other people know we're going through. It's always puzzled me a little bit when people send me private prayer requests that they don't want anybody to know about. And it's like, well, you know, my husband's having a procedure today. He's got a heart problem or this or that. Don't tell anybody. I've always wondered why people in churches were afraid to let other people know what they needed prayer for. Now, I get sometimes things are super personal. I understand that. But sometimes they're just not. But we don't want people to know what we go through. Job has no problem sharing how he feels with his friends. It doesn't offend God for you to be honest when you're hurting. It doesn't offend God for you to say, you know what, I'm really messed up right now. I really don't understand this. I'm really in some serious crisis and some serious pain. That doesn't offend God. So Job's friends come to console him. And here's what they do. I'm going to back up and read a little bit in chapter 2 here. You won't see it on the screen. I'll just read it to you. He has three friends whose names I'm not even going to try to pronounce. Since they heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Pretty powerful, huh? You know, when you go to see someone who's been suffering, do you you try to figure out what you're supposed to say to him? Try to make him feel better? I do. You know, what can I say to this person? You know, we we do that, especially in churches. We try to come up with with Christian sayings or things that we can do to try to help people in some way, you know. And oftentimes it's for our own, but it it makes us feel better if we think that we said something because we don't like the reality that there's nothing you can say to make somebody feel better in that moment. But it's true, isn't it? Was there something that these men could have said to Job to fix the loss of his children? Or all that he'd suffered? No. So they just went with and sat with him for seven days and said nothing. A, a wise man I talked to one time told me a story about a, a man who would 
gone through a deep depression. And one of his Jewish friends committed to going over to his house every day at 3 o'clock and sitting with, him, sitting with him for an hour in silence and rubbing his feet. He just gave the guy a little foot massage and sat there silently for an hour every day because he was going through a hard time. Didn't say a word. Now, I got to tell you, that's kind of a struggle for me. Pastor Mike's having a bad day. I ain't touching his feet. I'll go and sit with them. I'll try to keep my mouth shut. Probably won't be able to. But we're not good at that. Because we want to be people who can fix stuff. We want to be people who can say things. We want to be people who can go, who can go okay, you know, here's how you, can be, here's how you can feel better. But sometimes in life, what we can learn from Job is stuff is so bad, what you need to know isn't some, you know, little nugget of truth. What you need to know is that there are people who are there with you. You need to know that you're not alone. You need to know that, that the family of God rallies together and sometimes just sits with you. It's a powerful thing. If you've ever sat with someone who's gone through terrible, tremendous grief, you know what I'm talking about. There's just some stuff that can't be fixed. There's some feelings that can't be dealt with in that moment. But there's always, there's always benefit to being present with someone. And and we see that. Now, as we'll see, or as you'll see, if you read a little bit ahead in chapter 3 and 4, Job's friends, this is the next point, assume that his suffering was his fault. They go, they say to him, and they're not mean about it, but they're going, all right, Job, let's tell us the truth. What'd you do? We know that, so you must have done something. I mean, God wouldn't be doing this to you, Job, if, if you hadn't done something. So give us the lowdown. We, I mean, you're a great guy. We all see that. But what's going on behind the scenes? What did you do? What really happened? Because even in the ancient world, this idea that what goes around comes around was prevalent. And why would God do that to Job? He must have done something. But as we'll see Later, as we'll see later, we have to recognize that he hadn't done anything. Job's suffering wasn't about what he had done. It was about what God was doing. And I know that's hard for us to understand, but I want to ask a question here and kind of move through the next point here. What does Job's suffering teach us about the gospel living? What does it teach us? And here's what it teaches. That suffering happens... And it's not always punitive. It's not always about punishment. We equate suffering oftentimes with punishment. Especially when we can't comprehend what's going on. And suffering and God do not always mean punishment. This teaches us that God allows suffering for His purposes. And as we see in Job, He's not required to ask our permission nor to explain His purpose to us. You see, if you read the book of Job all the way through, I'll give you a little bit of a spoiler. There's never a moment when God sits down with Job and says, all right, let me explain all this to you. And then Job goes, oh, now I get it. We're good. It doesn't happen that way. 
Yes, at the end of the story, God restores Job's fortunes to him. Of course, his children are still, are still gone. But, but he, he heals his body, restores his fortunes, and blesses him again. But God never sits down with Job and makes him understand. He never explains it. He never gives him a reason. And, and sometimes we prolong the sufferings in our own lives because we're, we're too busy trying to figure it all out and understand it and comprehend it. And, and instead of letting junk from our past go, we spend too much time trying to figure out why. And what purpose it served. And and why did things happen? And what was God up to? Sometimes we just need to endure things without the explanation and the understanding of why. Because God's ways are not our ways. And some things are beyond our ability to understand. You may never know why that happened when you were a kid. It might not make sense in this life. Some things... You just have to accept and endure. God isn't required to cause it to make sense to us, but He does show us that He's right there with us. And He shows us that in the end, He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He will renew creation. He will restore that which was taken from us. He will cleanse that which has has soiled us. And in the new kingdom... He'll reconcile all things to us. But that's not about this life. It's something that Job teaches us about what it means to live as a Christian. We also see in the Gospel that Jesus shows us the perfect picture of suffering. Now, even though we can see that Job was an upright man, he he wasn't completely perfect. He, He had to have his flaws. So if you want to compare yourself with Job, as sometimes we do when we suffer... You know, that's okay. But there can be no debate that Jesus himself was without sin, and yet he suffered. In fact, Jesus suffered more greatly than Job ever did. Because Jesus bore the sins of the entire world on his shoulders. His apostles suffered greatly. Those who were closest to Jesus suffered greatly. So we have to let go of this idea that being near to Jesus and living for Jesus and living a Christian life is going to mean that we don't have suffering. We have to let go of that idea. It's hard though. Because there are those in the, in the, the world that will play on that mentality that we can be convinced of that if we do what we're supposed to do, God will bless us. It's called the prosperity gospel. Have you ever heard of the prosperity gospel? It's like the TV preacher gospel that says, hey, do what you're supposed to do. Do what I tell you to do. Give me your money. Sow a seed and God will bless it. They have their verses and they want to tell you that if you do what they say, usually for their benefit, that God will be in your debt and will pay you back a thousand times, and you can't outgive God, right? So keep it coming. My 90-some-year-old great-aunt, my grandmother's sister, was duped out of tens of thousands of dollars by a man who came to her with a ministry and promised her blessings and blessings and blessings if she would only sow a seed. They had to get lawyers involved and they had to cut her off of her own finances because 
even behind the backs of her family, she was still sending this guy checks for tens of thousands of dollars because she believed that, well, if I do that, God will bless me. He'll bless my, my family. See, we've got to recognize, the closer you get to Jesus, the, the more you suffer. Just look at the Scriptures. Thirdly, when it comes to suffering, suffering can be redemptive if we offer it to God. You know, that's the nature of the gospel, isn't it? That the suffering of Christ brought redemption to this world, that through suffering, that's where our salvation comes from. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter 3. He says, For it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Peter's writing, he's saying, look, sometimes it's God's will for you to suffer for doing good. And it's better. Things can happen. It's the nature of the gospel. Paul writes to the church in in Philippians 3. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as refuse in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He says, look, everything I've lost to follow Jesus. And Paul lost a lot, didn't he? You read about his life. He lost everything he had. He says, everything I've lost, man, it's nothing compared to what I've gained. Now, it doesn't mean he didn't suffer. It doesn't mean it was easy. But his perspective was this. Christ suffered and gained much. And if I take my sufferings and I unite them with Christ's sufferings, then much will be gained as well. Look at what I've lost, but it's nothing compared to what I gained. You see, he would even go so far as to say this to the church in, in Colossians 1.24, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. That verse has always puzzled me, you know. I fill up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. What could be lacking in Christ's afflictions? Christ was the perfect sacrifice given on the cross, and yet Paul says that he fills up what was lacking in it. Well, let me explain it to you. Here's what was lacking. Jesus Christ went to the cross to suffer for the sins of the entire world, and at the end of that, he said, it is finished. That was done. But the the work of Christ, the work of the church, continues to bring that message to a world that needs to hear it. And Paul was sent on that mission. And you know what Jesus said when he signed him up? He said, let's go talk to Paul about how much he will suffer for my name's sake. That was the opening interview. And Paul said, let's do it. See, Jesus suffered on the cross, but Jesus' suffering on the cross needs to be told and brought to people in this world. 
And Paul united what he was doing with what Christ had done. And in so, the redemptive power continued. He filled up in his own life the mission for what Christ wanted to do. And in so, he rejoiced in it. He rejoiced in it. Years ago, I went through a, I was going through a really tough time in my life, and a person said to me, and they said, well, Keith, you're going to suffer. The question is, will you suffer well, or will you suffer poorly? And that's always been a, a question at the forefront of my mind when I've stepped into something. Because it's true for all of us. We can't avoid it. At least not all of it. But we can choose how we walk through it, can't we? We can choose how we're going to deal with it. We can walk through the sufferings of this life saying, Woe is me. How could you do this to me, God? I'm a good person. I didn't deserve this. Why me? Why me? I'm done with you, God, and become bitter and hurtful and angry toward every other person and resent other people because they haven't been through what we've been through and, and, and make everyone around us uncomfortable. We can do that and let it consume us and destroy us. Or we can suffer well and allow our sufferings to draw others to Christ. And to glorify God. So how do we suffer well? Quickly, the first thing, and this is all right out of Job. First thing we have to do is be real about it. If you aren't fine, stop telling people you are. That doesn't mean you stop every stranger in the grocery store and tell them your life story. Okay? But the people that have come to console you in your life, the people that God has put in your life for the purpose of helping you, be real with them. Let them know how you feel. It's okay. Don't sugarcoat everything to everybody. Again, you don't need to stand on the street corner and say, my life's miserable, I, you know, I want to die. But those who've come to console you, those who God has put in your life to help you, be, be real about what you're going through. There's no feelings you can feel that God doesn't already know about in the first place. He can deal with it. He can take it. So be real about it. Stop acting like you're fine if you're not. Secondly, keep your faith strong. This is so important. Worship God in the midst of your suffering. It always pains my heart when people who are going through a tough time say things like, well, I just can't go to church right now. It's just, I'm just in a rough time. I can't really do that. Because I'm having, a, let me get myself figured out. Let me get my life straightened out. Let me get through this. Let me figure this out. And then I'll start coming to church again. That is the wrong approach. When, when you're suffering, when you're going through a tough time, that's when you draw near to Christ. That's when you draw near to other believers. That's when you, 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 you cry out to God. Suffering has a tendency to either draw us further from God or closer to God. Keep worshiping. Keep serving. That's so important. Sometimes we go through a tough time, we think, oh, I gotta take a break from serving other people because I got my own stuff to deal with. That couldn't be further from the truth. Continue to serve. Continue in your life as a, as a believer. Keep your devotion to the Lord. Keep praying. Keep reading your scriptures. And even rejoice. I know that may seem hard to do, but man, that's what we're called to do. 
Rejoice in the midst of our suffering. Paul writes in Romans 5, he says, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. No matter what we suffer, we have the the hope of the promise of Christ that Christ and the love of God flows through us in the midst of whatever we're dealing with. There's nothing you can suffer in this world that God's love is not present with you in. And there's nothing that can happen in this world that can take you out of the hand of God. He'll walk closer to you than you've ever experienced if you draw near to Him in the times of your suffering. So keep your faith strong. That's not the time to slack. That's the time to dive in even more. And then lastly, unite your suffering to Christ in prayer. Unite it to Christ in prayer. What does that mean? Offer your suffering to God as a sacrifice. Watch what He can do with it. Say, God, I'm going through this difficult time. I'm offering this up to You. Use it in some way. I'm offering this as a sacrifice to You. Let me unite it with Your sufferings so that it might serve a purpose, so that it might help bring somebody to know Jesus, so that it might in some way benefit someone else. Remember, in chapter 1, did you, did you catch this last week? It, it, it kind of caught me. It says that Job, in describing his upright life, that he used to offer sacrifices for his children because he was sure that they might have cursed God in their big parties in the tents. Read it again if you want to read it. He looked at the life of his kids and he's like, all right, I'm sure they did something wrong. God, I'm going to offer a sacrifice for you on their behalf. That's a suffering, isn't it? Every time you make a sacrifice, that's suffering. Offer what you're doing to God and say, God, use this to help somebody. Understand that your reward and participation in the glory of Christ grows as you suffer with Him. Last thing, Romans eight seventeen. Paul writes these words, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. I don't know what each of you are going through in your lives. But I know what suffering is. And I know that some of you are in it right now. And I pray today that each of us could walk through whatever we're walking through with our faith strong and with our heads bowed to the Lord with a spirit that says, this is really hard. But God, you're really good. And I'm giving it to you. Let's pray together. Lord, we are your children because we love you and because you have given us grace. And Lord, you know the the sufferings that we are enduring right now. You know the pains that we feel. You know the loss that that we feel. Lord, help us. Help us to be real about it. To not try to sugarcoat it, Lord, but to, to, to just open ourselves up. Help us to be a church where, where we can rally around each other and, and just be present so that, Lord, everything that we go through would bring you honor and glory. 
God, forgive us for trying to make sense of everything. Help us instead to walk in faith and to unite everything that we experience to your suffering that we might also receive that glory. And Lord, encourage us with the promise that everything that we've lost will be given back at the renewal of all things. Because of the great glory, as we go through the death, we get to take part in the resurrection because of what you've done for us. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.